Good morning, everyone. Our passage today is Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I'll give you a chance to find that. 946 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 18. Um, we're just kind of picking up in the middle of some stuff that's, that's happened. Uh, Peter's caused a bit of a stir um, by sharing the gospel with a non-Jew, a Gentile, and his family. And uh, he's, in this section, he's explaining what he did and why he did it and uh, what happened. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same spirit, sorry, the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Well, it's been great being here this weekend, uh, particularly some very memorable things, uh, surprises, meeting people that uh, we met years ago in other parts of the world and didn't expect to find them here. Uh, and that's been lovely. That's happened two or three times this weekend. It's been lovely to come. Churches, we don't go to church. We are church 24-7. And to be able to hang out with one another over the weekend is, is really what church is all about. And uh, we've had an experience of that uh, this weekend, haven't we? I mean, the highlight for me was the leaking sponge challenge last night. <laughs> I think we should have left all that water on the floor here, and then we could have washed one another's feet this morning. <laughs> uh, but, you know, having fun together, uh, listening to the testimonies, um, realizing that uh, evangelism, it, it's not some... Scary thing, it's, it's simply sharing your Christian friends with your non-Christian friends. And again, hanging out, enjoying each other's company and taking those opportunities as they naturally arise. So thank, thank you, you've ministered to me uh, this weekend. Uh, we're going to go, we'll we stay around for morning tea, but then we're going to go up to Brisbane. Um, so uh, 
If you have any questions, um, please, you know, I'll be right down there having morning tea afterwards, um, but we're not going to stay for the activities later. Uh, now then, um, we're looking at these three episodes in the Gospels or in the New Testament where Peter contradicts Jesus. And uh, this morning we're looking at that uh, passage that was just read to us in, in chapter 11, but we're going to look at chapter 10. So if you have a Bible and you want to open it to chapter 10, because there's a, a, a much fuller account in chapter 10, and we'll, I'll be interacting with that, with chapter 10. But chapter 11, the passage we just read, is a very good summary, really, of, of what happened. In fact, the story is told three times. It is such a significant event, this. It's sometimes called the Gentile Pentecost. And uh, you, it's, it's, it's related in chapter 10, and then it's, it's summarized in chapter 11, when Peter has to give an account of it to the other apostles. And then at the Great Council of Jerusalem in chapter 15, again, he, he rehearses the, the, the main lessons that they've learned from that episode. So this is a really significant, a really important thing that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I'll take verse, um, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 10 as a kind of text to get into the talk. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, I've never eaten anything impure and unclean. No, Lord. If he's Lord, you don't say no to him, do you? But Peter, three times Peter says that. Uh, as we saw on Friday night uh, at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus talks about the cross, no, Lord, says Peter, that'll never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then, uh, as we saw yesterday, when Jesus stoops to wash his feet in the upper room, he says, never in a million years, no, Lord, Never to all eternity, literally, that's what he says. Never will you wash my feet. And now here he is again. No, Lord, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So, uh, as we saw, these are, these are not just Peter being Peter, because we know what he's like. He's an interesting character, just like all of us, I suppose. He's um, always putting his, opening his mouth and putting his foot in it. But, uh, but these are very significant um, challenges, if you like, to real Christianity. First of all, he wants, like many people today, he wants Christianity without the cross. And you cannot have Christianity without the cross. You can't take the cross out of Christianity. There's a cross for Jesus, and there's a cross for us, and there's a must about that. Uh, there's, there's not an optional extra for super keen Christians or missionaries or martyrs. Uh, and then in the upper room, he wants to take, um, he, 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 he wants to um, remove the, the whole idea of being washed or cleansed. Uh, the whole idea of, basically we're talking about conversion. He says no to that in the upper room. And uh, now, uh, he says no to basically to the cross cultural communication of the gospel that's what he's saying no to he should have known better Jesus had given the great commission this is after the great commission you've got that in all four gospels in different forms 
You've got it in the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Peter's saying, no, surely not. <laughs> you don't mean that, Lord. It's not kosher. You want me to go to those unclean people? Share the gospel with them? So this is serious. If, 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 if God had let him get away with that, we wouldn't be here th- uh, this morning, would we? Because this is where the gospel leaps over the great cultural divide from the Jews to the Gentiles. And I guess most of us are Gentiles. And as I say, this is what we sometimes refer to as the Gentile Pentecost. So it's very significant. He's in danger of repudiating the Great Commission. And uh, the story is told to us, as I say, in in those three chapters, in chapter 10, 11, and 15. But we're going to look at it here in chapter 10 this morning. And it, it, it is told to us in three movements. First, there's a vision, then some visitors, and then a VIP turns up. As you can tell, I'm a Sesame Street preacher. (laughs) Sermon sermon comes to you courtesy of the letter V. (laughs) So first of all, it took a vision from God to change Peter's mind. In two visions, in fact, at at three o'clock one afternoon, Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this Gentile, God-fearing Gentile, had a vision in which an angel tells him to send for Peter. Thirty miles down the road, as the messengers from Cornelius are on their way, uh, uh, Peter has a vision. He's in Joppa. He's staying at the house of Simon, the tanner. It's midday. It's noon. And Peter goes up onto the rooftop to pray while his lunch is being prepared. Now, if you had uh, Google Earth, the Bible version of Google Earth, on your iPad, you could zoom in to that rooftop. Uh, you, the scene is set for us there in verses 9 to 13. It's, it's hot. He's up there on the rooftop. He's surrounded by animal skins that are being stretched out to dry because he's in the house of Simon the Tanner, which is significant and interesting. We haven't got time to go into all that, but that's interesting in itself. The smell of cooking is wafting up the stairs. And out on the harbor, the sails are flapping in the breeze. And as he he prays, he dozes. And dozes as he prays, which is usually what happens when I try to pray. And, uh, And God uses all these external stimuli to produce this vision in Peter's subconscious mind. And he sees a huge sheet Think of those flapping sails there out on the, on the ocean. And he sees this sail-like sheet uh, being lowered down from heaven by its four corners, full of creepy crawlies. All the unclean animals from the book of Leviticus are there. And the vision comes with wraparound Dolby sound. A voice said to him, verse 13, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not. I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to start now, Lord. What you're asking me to do is, is wrong. And we're told again, a second time a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. And this happened three times. We told, told that, aren't we? And then the object was taken up into heaven. So three times Peter protests. This is what we read about in the reading. Three times he protests and three times he says, no, Lord. And three times God lowers the sheet down with the the same message. Three times God tells him, don't call unclean 
what God calls clean. Now, what is all that about? What do you think God is doing there? Well, clearly, he's, it's pretty obvious, really, he's, he's dealing with Peter's prejudices, isn't he? None of us think that we're prejudiced. Like, like the guy who said, um, I'm not prejudiced. Uh, I'm, I'm not xenophobic. That's a horrible Greek word. <laughs> None of us sees it in ourselves, do we? Um, I'm not the one with the accents, by the way. You are. <laughs> but but we all, we're all prejudiced. And it's good for us. It's good for you as a church for us to stop and to think about what our taboos might be. What are the no-nos for us? You see, for this bigoted, racially prejudiced Jew, it was a, a smorgasbord of clean and unclean animals. But what is it for you? What's, what, would be, what would be in your sheet if God were to lower a, a big sheet down here uh, this morning? What would be in your sheet? Which people do you kind of instinctively shrink from? What would be in that sheet? A, a burqa? A business suit? A nose ring? A tattoo? What would be in, in, your, in your sheet? A mullet? <laughs> they seem to be coming back, don't they? <laughs> I mean, which people do you instinctively shrink from? It's lovely to hear that testimony or that example just now. Immigrants? The working classes? The chattering classes? <laughs> Yuppies, nerds, punks, ferals, greenies, tradies. There's so many trades out there, aren't there? So, so many uh, tribes out there, I mean. Uh, put it, let me put it another way. And ask yourself the question, who is not in our church? That's a good question for us to ask regularly. For the leaders to ask themselves. But for you, when you gather together to pray, to ask yourselves, who's, who's not here? Look, look, raise up your eyes, look out. The fields are white unto harvest, and there's all those people there, and they're from all over the world, and they're all stretched across the Gold Coast, and why aren't they here? Who's not here? Who are we not going to with the gospel for one reason or another? See, just as these food laws prevented the Jews from meeting other people and, and uh, focused them on externals and put up barriers, what's the equivalent of that for us? We need to think that through if we're going to share Jesus' mission to the world. See, why are our churches so often, especially our Presbyterian churches, regarded as kind of middle class, affluent, aging, many of them, culturally elitist? Is that something to be proud of? You know, in, in, a, in a place like, like Australia, the, we have uh, all sorts of different churches, don't they? We have ethnic churches, which makes it clear that membership is limited to people of a certain ethnicity. I mean, in the old days, if you were Dutch, it was the Reformed Church. If you were, if you were Scottish, it was the Presbyterian Church. If you were English, it was the Anglican Church. Those are tribes. We have tribal churches. We have ethnic churches. 
We have class-bound churches which make it clear that only middle-class members are welcome through its doors or indeed even into its car park. We've got churches for geriatrics, which the way they do church is in such a way that they don't expect anyone to turn up under the age of 55. (laughs) Sometimes they don't even tell you what time they meet. They don't even bother to put a sign outside because everybody knows what time the church meets. It's our church. We grew up in this church. If they don't know, that's their problem. <laughs> there are churches, uh, there are geriatric churches, but we've got hipster churches as well, which don't expect anyone over 25 to fit in. We've got racist churches, tribalist churches. We've got sexist churches too, where women are made to feel like inferior beings. What are we doing? See, Peter's vision is for us. Peter's vision challenges us as well as it does him. Yes, salvation is of the Jews. That, but that, that Abrahamic covenant was meant not as something exclusive for Judaism. It was meant for the world. You will be a blessing to all the nations in your seed. All the nations of the world will be blessed. Yes, salvation came to the Jews. They were the custodians of the gospel, if you like. But it was for the whole world. And they were forgetting that. God sent the good news to Israel first, but he intends it for everybody. God sees this world in glorious technicolor. A tapestry of races, tribes and groups who are all made in his divine image. And he rejoices in the whole world. He rejoices in every one of them without exception. And they all need Jesus, the savior of the world. So that's what we're here for. What we're going to do about it. So here then is, is this is the first hammer blow to Peter's prejudices. This vision of the of the sheet. It comes down three times, and then then a remarkable coincidence takes place in verse seventeen. While Peter is is kind of processing this, and he's still thinking about the meaning of this vision, there's a knock on the door, and three visitors turn up on his doorstep, and a voice comes up the stairs. Peter, you got visitors. <laughs> And, and we read there verses 17 to 19. While Peter, was, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who'd been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. <laughs> How's that for timing? <laughs> I mean, what are the chances of that happening? Remember, these men have set out the day before yesterday. And they arrive at the very moment when Peter is still reeling with shock, trying to figure out the meaning of that vision. Can't you see the sovereignty of God in that? God has choreographed the whole thing, hasn't he? See, what appears to be coincidence is in fact a divinely engineered appointment. God, is, God always does that. Often does that. I've often found that. I've gone somewhere in fear and trembling to try and talk to someone and share the gospel with someone. I found God's already been there. He's already been preparing that person's heart. People are, are often far more ready to hear about Jesus than we imagine they are. Because God's already been at work. 
as he was here in the household of Cornelius. And so here's another hammer blow to Peter's prejudice. Because now he's got to decide about his visitors. What's he going to do? They're on his doorstep now. It's not just a theoretical thing anymore. Uh, Is he going to invite them in? Or will he send them away? What's he going to do? Will he go with them to a Gentile's house? And as he wrestles with this, the spirit whispers to him, they're told there, Peter, get up and go without hesitation. Literally, the word there, that word hesitation can be translated discrimination. Get up and go, Peter. This is me. This is a God moment. I've sent these people to your doorstep. Get up and go without discrimination. Because I've sent them. It couldn't be clearer, could it? And so he does. He gets up. And uh, the next day they set out. And a day later they arrive at Cornelius' house. And they, they f- what, when they get there, they find Cornelius is, is expecting them. Cornelius is, is there waiting for them. And he's called together all his friends and his relatives. And, uh, and, and in verse 28, Peter says, look what Peter, Peter says to them in effect. Well, you know, I, I really shouldn't be here. It's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But God has shown me I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So what do you want? (laughs) That's so typical, Peter, isn't it? He's no no diplomat. (laughs) Despite all that God has shown him in, in that vision, his prejudices are still showing. I'm not really sure I should be here at all, he says. Jews don't mix with Gentiles, you know. So what do you want? Why did you send for me? And Cornelius is so polite. Cornelius answers so graciously, doesn't he? It's so good of you to come, Peter, he says. Do you see that there? I was in my house, verse 30, I was in my house praying at three in the afternoon and a man shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God's heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor, send to Joppa for Simon who's called Peter, he's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was so good of you to come. Peter, you know, Peter shows up, he says, what do you want? I'm not really supposed to be here. You Jews don't mix with Gentiles. Cornelius says, it's so good of you to come. What a gentleman. <laughs> and, and then he says, and now we're all here, Peter, in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. Talk about a, an opening for the gospel. What an opportunity. What an encouragement that is for any preacher, you know. We're all here, present before God. Is that how you gather week by week? If only it were so. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, the writer to the Hebrew says. We're all here. Every time the word is opened, the church gathers and we're all here. Not once in every three weeks as it is in most churches. Probably worse since COVID. We're watching online because, you know, well, you know, you got used to it and it's quite nice sitting in our pajamas watching online <laughs> and sipping our coffee. We're all here present before God. Do you realize that when we gather as church, we are coming before God? 
We're coming, uh, you know, one, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting old now and I say things that I should, shouldn't say probably. I'm getting a grumpy old man. But, <laughs> and, and I don't want this just to sound in the wrong, t- I don't want you to take it in the wrong way. But I, so many churches, you know, when we, when we gather, it's, it's horizontal. I mean, the old Reformed tradition, Presbyterian tradition from the Reformation is that we, we start with a call to worship. We start, we start with a word from God. Because we've come to meet with God. Yes, we come to meet with one another. And yes, we want to welcome one another. But we're all here in the presence of God, Cornelius says, this Gentile. And, 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 and we can't wait to hear what God has to say to you. Say to us, through you, Peter. We, we believe you've got a message from God for us. We've been told that. We can't wait to hear it. Is that how we gather? With that sort of expectancy? That God is going to speak to us this morning. We can't, we, we, we just don't want to miss out. Imagine, you know, getting us, I, 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 I sorry. <laughs> I did have an opportunity to, to meet the Queen in Canberra when I was moderator of the denomination. Unfortunately, the, my secretary was in Sydney and she sent the invitation to Hobart. It took days to get there. And by the time I got there, I couldn't get a flight to Canberra. So I missed out. <laughs> But imagine, yeah, I know. But imagine, I mean, there would have been hundreds and hundreds of others there. I probably wouldn't have even seen her. But uh, imagine if you had an invitation from the Queen it, it, and you, you were invited to, well, not to the Queen now, as the King. And you were invited to, uh, it's, it, it, to the coronation. Imagine you had an, that would not be an invitation, really. That would be a command, wouldn't it? Queen never invited people; she commanded people. And um, what I'm trying to say is this: for you as a Christian, it's, it's not a matter of choice whether you come or not. You are commanded to come. When you come here and the word is opened, it is an audience with with the King. That's what's happening here. It's not like any other gathering. It is an audience with the king. We believe that, that when the Bible is taught, God himself speaks to us. It's an audience with God. So what is God teaching us here with, with the, with the, in, in this passage? What are the lessons we need to learn uh, f- from these visitors who turn up on Peter's doorstep? Well, what we need to learn is this. Uh, the gospel is f- for all, not, not just for my sort of people. And when you understand that, you just can't, you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to go outside your comfort zone like Peter had to. And take it even to those who would normally have nothing much to do with. Christians, surely that's what God is saying to us. One of the things God is saying to us this morning. That the gospel is for all. Not just for people like us. And if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, you need to know that too. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not really the religious type. I'm not that sort of person. This doesn't really apply to me. The gospel is for all. And it is to be freely offered to all. Nobody is excluded except those who exclude themselves. And here's something else, of course, that we need to to see here. No one is too good for the gospel. You see, Cornelius is clearly a very nice guy. He's a very decent bloke, isn't he? Uh, he's a God-fearing man, we're told, with a social conscience. 
He gave money to the poor. He's the sort of guy you'd want your daughter to marry. He's, he's someone you wouldn't mind having as a next-door neighbor. We're told that in verse 2, that he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Gosh, if anybody's going to heaven, it's Cornelius, isn't it? He doesn't, he doesn't need a preacher. He's already there, isn't he? Halfway there. And, and, and he prayed regularly to God, and God answered his prayers. How did God answer his prayers? He sent a missionary to his doorstep to convert him. See, Cornelius needed to be converted. Nice man that he was, but he needed to become a new man, didn't he? In Christ. And so Peter has to go to his house and tell him about Jesus. And later on, you know, as we saw in the reading this morning in chapter 11, when he reports this to the other apostles, he says, God has granted repentance resulting in life, even to the Gentiles, even to this Gentile. That's what happened. I went to his house, I spoke the word, gave him the message about Jesus, and God granted repentance resulting in life, even to this Gentile. And at the Jerusalem council, he says, they, that is the Gentiles, people like Cornelius, they're saved in exactly the same way that we are, through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. God makes, made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. That's what happened in that house when Peter preached the word. God granted repentance. He gave faith to Cornelius and his household. He cleansed their hearts as they listened to the word. They received the Holy Spirit. Wow, isn't that exciting? Isn't that what we're going to see happening right across Australia? Christianity is not about being nice, it's about being saved. It's not about being respectable, it's about being rescued. It's not about what you can do for God. It's about what he has done for you in giving you his son to die for you on the cross. I, I, I know we believe that. I, I sometimes wonder, though, whether it's in our heads and not in our hearts. I, I've heard good Christian people, well-taught Christian people say things like this. Well, you know, yeah, my grandson, he's such a lovely boy. He's not a Christian, but he's such a good guy. Good, you know, he's got a good job, nice wife, lovely children. Well, people like that go to hell. Jesus said, I've come to call sinners, not the righteous. If you think that because Cornelius says his prayers and goes to the synagogue and gives gifts to the poor, that that's going to get him to heaven, or your grandson, because he's such a lovely boy and so polite and respectful and got such a good job and you're so pleased for him, and if you think that's going to save him, of course it's not going to save him. Or my, my neighbor, or, or my husband, you know, or my wife. It, some, such, an, such a well, much, much better Christian than I am, really. No, they're not. They're not a Christian at all unless they come to believe in Jesus. Maybe nicer than you. I don't disagree with that. That's quite possible. <laughs> but I met some of you. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who are much nicer than we are. <laughs> God, God, Jesus said, I've come to call sinners, not the righteous people. And we're a bunch of sinners. That's what we are. We need, to, we, we, need, we, you know, we need to always remember that those people are so nice and we love them and we, we enjoy their company and so on, that they need to be saved. They need to hear about Jesus, the Savior. 
And how will they hear unless we tell them? I want to say this. To refuse to share the gospel with people just because they, they speak a different language perhaps or live in a different culture, it, it, it's not being culturally sensitive. That's the woke thing, isn't it? That's the politically correct way to look at things. You, you don't impose your religion. No, to refuse to, 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 to share the gospel with people like, because they're different to us, uh, it's not being culturally sensitive. It's the worst form of racism. Because everybody needs to hear the gospel. And to, and to refuse to, to, to bring the gospel uh, to people is, is, is really a form of racism. And Peter learned something else here, didn't he? Look at verse 34. I now realize, he says, God doesn't show favoritism. I've learned my lesson, he says there in verse 34. I, I now realize. After. But we never learn any lesson perfectly, do we? And, and, and Peter's no exception, and neither are we. He had to learn that lesson over again, didn't he? In Galatians, if you, if you, if you, uh, we won't go there now, but in Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us that when Peter came to Antioch, I had a shirt front him. <laughs> That's my translation. I had a, a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. This was years later. Earlier, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians 2, Peter regularly used to eat with non-Jews. He'd learned his lesson. I've learned my lesson. I realize God doesn't show favoritism. And, and so he used to eat with non-Jews. But when the conservative group came from Jerusalem... Paul says he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. And Paul accuses him of being out of step with the gospel. He accuses him there in Galatians 2 of setting aside the grace of God. See, I don't want any of you nerds, I think there may be some nerds out there, Uh, answering, uh, coming up with advice to me afterwards about this. But I've got a laptop that, well, I've got a new one now, but I had a laptop that always used to crash, and it would reset itself to January the 15th, 1970. I don't know why. Didn't even have a computer in 1970. (laughs) But it goes back to that day, which is very kind of annoying and frustrating, because if I sent you an email with the wrong date on it, you might never see it. It might sort of get buried away in the past somewhere with all your other messages from January 1970. Now, I don't know why that happens, and don't tell me why it happens, because I'm not really interested. (laughs) But something like that happens, you see, in our lives as Christians, doesn't it? And we don't always see it. We don't always realize that it's happening until someone points it out to us. That's why we need one another. Paul had to come along and point out to Peter, Peter, you're being inconsistent with the gospel of grace. And, and we need to, at that point, we need to, we need to um, press the reset button in our lives, don't we? We need to realign ourselves with, with the gospel that, we've, that first saved us. We need to do that personally and, and corporately. We need to keep bringing our attitudes and our feelings and our thinkings back into line with the gospel. We need to keep thinking about our church programs and our practices and our everyday behavior. Is this, is this in line with the gospel of grace? So here then is the second hammer blow to Peter's prejudices. 
God gave him a vision. Then God sent him on a visit. And now to cap it all and put it beyond question, look what happens next in verse 44. A very important person turns up, a VIP. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The Holy Spirit came down. I'd love to be interrupted like that. In fact, I long for it. I pray for it. I really want to preach with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. That's what happened here in Cornelius' house. It's what we so desperately need in today's church, isn't it? A visitation of the Holy Spirit. And notice it comes as Peter is telling them about Jesus. Look at verse 2 again. Peter, this is the message that he's brought to Cornelius. He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. You don't get to judge Jesus. Jesus is going to judge you. That's part of the message. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Yes, Jesus is the judge and he's going to judge everyone. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's forgiveness for our sins. What good news that is. And as Peter was speaking these words, it says, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. See, there's no wedge here between word and spirit, is there? The Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. I know it's an unfair criticism, but sometimes... Sydney Anglicanism has been described as, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, the God they believe in. And there's some truth in that, I think. I'm being being a grumpy old man again, and I'm going away, so you can't shoot me down. (laughs) But when people say that, we need to stop and think, is is there any truth in that? You know, it's um, so much preaching that you hear is dry, it's academic, it's predictable. There's no wedge here, is there, between word and spirit. The Holy Spirit came down on all who heard the message. I love the way Spurgeon put it. This is one of my favorite quotes from Spurgeon. He's most, probably the most quotable man on the planet ever. But he put it like this. He said, I, I looked at the cross... See, Peter is sent to the house of Cornelius to preach the cross. And Spurgeon says, I looked at the cross and the dove flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away. See, the Holy Spirit is shy. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always exalting Jesus. And as Peter preached Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down. The dove flew into their hearts. Word and spirit together. Not one without the other. See, what we need in today's church, what we need in our churches today is word and spirit together. Remember David Watson, the Anglican evangelist, he used to say, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. We need both word and spirit if we're going to grow up, don't we? 
We need good, well-trained Bible teachers in today's church. And thank God we've got good colleges. We've got the QTC. That's, that's, a, that's a great college where great work is being done. And we're training up their preachers for uh, the generations to come. We need that. We need the, the gospel to be preached clearly and simply and accurately and regularly in our churches. But we need more than that. We need the Holy Spirit to accompany the preaching of the word. And that's what happened here in, in, in a unique sense. It, it's been called the Gentile Pentecost. That's why uh, there's the speaking in ton, tongues. It's, it's what Jesus told them at the beginning. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And now it's happening just as Jesus said it would happen. The gospel is jumping over cultural and linguistic boundaries. God is opening a door of faith for the Gentiles. This is a defining moment for Christianity. And it's the final nail in the coffin of Peter's prejudices, isn't it? This puts it beyond all doubt. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We all come in on the same footing by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And since God makes no distinction... Neither should we. Now, let me just apply this as I close in three ways, very quickly. Let me apply it, first of all, to the law of the land. We're fortunate enough to live in a liberal democracy. There should be no discrimination in the law of the land. We now know that. You and I are citizens, we're voters, we live in a democracy. I know there's no such thing as a Christian country, but any nation that, has, that lays any claim to any kind of Christian heritage must not discriminate in its legislation. Of course, every, every, Christ, every, every country needs an immigration policy. You can't open the gates to everyone, but the policy must never be based on race or color. And if it is, then we should be the first to speak up and protest about that. Because like Peter, we now know that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what's right. That should be our vision for the nation. That should be what we should be saying to our politicians as, as churches and as Christians. That's the kind of multicultural society we want to see. God does not show favoritism. There must be no discrimination in the legislation. But then there must be no discrimination in the church either. You know how Gandhi, in the story about Gandhi when he was uh, in South Africa as a young lawyer, he was turned away from church by the so-called welcomers and told to go and worship with his own kind. And he went and he never came back. He said, if Christianity has a caste system too, I might as well remain a Hindu. Some draw a circle that shuts men out. Race and position are the things they flout. But Christ in love seeks them all to win. He draws a circle that brings them in. That's how we should do church, isn't it? But in the end, it's not a matter of legislation or good church practice. It's a change of heart that's called for, isn't it? See, really, there are two conversions here. Cornelius... And Peter. Peter needed to be converted all over again. He needed to be realigned with the gospel. That loathsome sheet full of creepy crawlies is a picture of Peter's heart. The four corners 
correspond to the uh, four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. And God is saying to Peter, lift up your eyes. He's saying that to us. He's saying, look at the world around you. There are teeming millions out there who need to hear the gospel. Peter loathes them. God loves them. Peter needs a change of heart. And so do we. I now realize, says Peter, it's a defining moment for him. Has there been such a defining moment for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment in history that we've been looking at when the gospel seems to have spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and now is going out to the ends of the earth. And we thank you that we here this morning as Gentiles are part and parcel of this great redemptive outflow that began in Jerusalem. We thank you for the way of salvation so clearly and powerfully explained by Peter in the house of Cornelius. That it is the same today as it was in Peter's day. It's through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Help us, Lord, to get that message out. In Jesus' name, amen.